Welcome to Business Beyond Borders, the go-to podcast for CPA firms seeking transformative insights. I'm your host, Lawrence Whittam, and with each episode, we'll uncover key insights, best practices, and invaluable resources tailored for CPAs. From trending strategies to diving deep into outsourcing and offshoring, our experts will help in all areas of your business. Hey everyone, and welcome to the podcast. So we're here today with a special guest, John Fenton, who is also known as the CEO Sensei. So I'll let you explain that bit as well, John, in a second. Um, but I like to kick things off with you personally giving your own introduction rather than me butchering it, right? So I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to tell your piece. So you can you give everyone just a quick intro as to who you are and explain the CEO Sensei side of things. Thank you so much, Lawrence. This is a fantastic opportunity to spend some time with you today. What do I do? I work with. I'm a managing retired managing partner. I work with CPAs and professionals, uh, professional service firms, helping them be the best leaders they can be through. One-to-one coaching, uh, group uh, or group coaching, as well as uh, strategic working sessions on strategy, vision, purpose, culture, um, and really helping them be the best leaders they can be, and so they can have more more success and more freedom in their lives. Really taking them from where they are to where they want to be. CEO Sensei, a little bit of background of that. Sensei means teacher, and uh, I'm. I think some, a large part of my role is a teacher in some in respects, uh, but I have some great experiences though uh, throughout my life. I played college football, very high level, nationally ranked team and successful program there um, and was on successful sports teams and also on some really lousy teams. So I really experienced the leadership and teamwork at, at various, you know, many levels there, many experiences there. And same in the, in the business world, I was a managing partner Worked for the same firm, BDO USA, for over 30 years and really saw some of the good, the bad, and the ugly of leadership. So I've always been a student of leadership and what made teams better than other teams. And I, you know, I even study pro teams and college teams to kind of understand what makes them tick and how are they so successful when others aren't. And along the way, I discovered Tai Chi, and which really helped me be a better leader, helped me be more mindful, more present. I'm very much future focused in, in my work and in my mindset. And so many times I find myself into the future and I just, a lot of people, it causes more stress and anxiety in their lives, right? <laughs> so Tai Chi really helped me to make that mind-body connection, to learn meditation. Uh, and I just fell in love with Tai Chi, the, the rigor of it and the, and the uh, discipline of it really made a lot of sense to me. And I think that's because of my athletic background too, just all the work that I did. I was very much someone who'd spent a lot of time preparing for the next game, thinking about the game plan, thinking about, you know, preparing my body, making sure my body was healthy. And I, you know, I had my ups and downs and injuries throughout my career as most football players go through and, and finding ways to make sure I was ready to play. And a lot of that's mindset, right? So uh, the CEO sensei really came out of, I think about CEO whisperer when I was thinking about this and someone else famous has that, has used that term. I said, well, what about CEO sensei? And that seems to stick. And it's really about teaching, but it's, you know, it's kind of ties in with my martial arts background, but, you know, I achieved master status, a black belt status, but, you know, being a master, being a black belt, being a master, let's say, you haven't really mastered anything. You've mastered yourself, really, more than anything, right? 
but there's always room to grow. There's always continuous learning and continuous improvement, which I'm a huge believer in. Look at any sports team, any successful leaders and successful teams are always, always continually looking to improve, whether it's Six Sigma or some other methodology to do that in their business, also self-improvement. And, and so I'm a big believer in that, that as a leader, it starts with you. And so really a master just means I've gone a little bit further ahead than the student. I just have a little bit more experience than the student and I can share some things with them to help them be the best leaders they can be. So uh, I'm the CEO sensei. Perfect. No, I appreciate that. And it's again, yeah, it's unique and it fits your background very well. And, and although I'm, Again, when it comes to the football side of things, I've got to say it's uh, on this on this podcast at least the football is not soccer here. That's football for me, and uh, so we've got to call it American football just to make sure. There you but, go. That's right. Um, Be clear, right? <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean the the athlete side of it again, very relatable and coaching as well that I did for a long time. So it's um, and again the. The, the best part about sort of the idea of this podcast is not just about the outsourcing and the offshoring and that those aspects that I do, but again, it's bringing resources to firms and businesses that they can utilize because leadership in that firm and in the business is, is so important just in order to scale. And again, coming from BDO, obviously, especially now, like in the most recent years, I mean, they've had major changes, right? So they are definitely one of the front runners, right? They've been growing drastically, doing, exploring the offshoring outsourcing side of things. They've done an ESOP recently, right? So always changing the game compared to a lot of other firms. So it's cool to have you on. So, and I'm sure everyone will find it very helpful. So, and let's just start off sort of like by talking about, I guess, the implementation side of things like with firms and when it comes to a leader doing that, because they have to really push the boundaries a little bit when and motivate people to really implement the change when the, again, we've all agreed on, yes, we want to do something, but we need people, we need the implementers in the firm. So what are the primary challenges CPA firms, businesses are facing, especially with like the advisory focused approach that we're now pushing towards to actually implement, right? Great question. Yeah, implementation is really where the rubber meets the road. Uh, as Tom Peters said, execution, excellence is the next five minutes. And what you do in the next five minutes really matters. I even wrote a book about five-minute mastery, the bestseller. Uh, several a few years ago, but change. I mean, we're. I mean, the accounting profession in particular, or business in general, we're facing a lot of change, accelerated change, and it continues to grow. I think, and it feels that way. And, and I know we've all experienced that. And so, how do we deal with? How do we implement things that are going to be useful to our firm going forward to be that advisor? Let's face it, you are a trusted advisor. I like to think of myself as a trusted advisor to trusted advisors, right? It's your clients are going to expect more from your firm as time goes on. They're paying, they're willing to pay for, if you bring a solution to a problem they have, they're willing to pay you for that, right? All this time, yeah. it takes effort and it takes intentionality around focusing on having a consultative mindset. The, 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 the rub is really that we all came through the accounting programs at college and training and everything. And most of us experience coming from the, the accounting tax audit side came through with a compliance mindset. Everything's geared towards passing the CPA exam. That's very much compliance oriented, knowing the rules, understanding the rules, and then testing those rules against uh, what the clients are doing. But we have to think outside that box. And so first of all, I think it's, it, 
I know from my own experience, it starts with the leaders. What kind of firm do you want to have? Right? Do you want to be a consultative firm or do you want to continue to be a compliance-based firm? And that's a business decision, right? You don't have to do yeah. that. I don't think your, your firm trajectory is not going to be what you want, I don't think. And you're not going to be as successful as you'd like to be. And, and maybe over time, may become irrelevant when you look at technology changes and things that are happening. So you brought up offshoring and those kinds of things. So I think what has to happen, really what has to happen is my experience to implement, you have to take on a role of understanding change and embracing change. And how do we deal with that? So a lot of firms that they're doing, um, they're creating a team of people inside the firm to focus on change, implementing change, thinking outside the box. Um, some firms have even implemented um, sort of a, a shark tank approach to creating new solutions. And a lot of it is also, okay, so we're going to create these solutions, but how do we implement them? How do we get them out to our clients? Well, you have to find the people, you have to know your talent in your firm, you have to know the people in your firm pretty well. I don't mean everybody, if you have you know, 100 people, it's going to be hard for you as a managing partner or leader to know everybody in your firm. But know your direct reports, know them intimately. So spend some time with them, get to know them, learn their strengths and their weaknesses. Find the people that have the innate skill set to help be more consultative. Or you may have to hire in for that too, right? So implementing, you have to find a leader, someone that can champion those types of projects if they're unique to your firm. Some firms, some of the managing partners I've talked to, some of those firms have been very consultative throughout their careers. Yeah. The big rub is that when young people are coming out of college, they want to be consulting right away. And obviously there's a learning curve, a learning period. And, and so how do, we, how do we create an environment, a culture where everybody feels like they're learning and growing? I think that's really important. McKinsey wrote a, a, had a report um, several months ago, I think it's not December or October, um, uh, performance versus how um, high-performing teams can be successful, uh, performance and people. People and people, people and performance focus of the company of, the, of an entity, and really providing, creating, an, allowing your firm or creating an environment where your firm or your company is a talent magnet. How do we do that? You've got to have, you got to find the right people, get the right people in the right seats. Jim Collins' work, on good to great, is still relevant today as it was thirty something years ago when the book came out. Find the right people in the right seats. Find the hire people with the right consultative mindset. So it's not so much hiring based on a resume. Got to look at their character. You got to really interview them, you know, with the right kind of questions and interview process to find those right people. But inside your firm, there are people that can do it and, and will embrace it and want to do it, who want to be more consultative if you're not already doing it as a culture in your firm. So identify those people, create a team that's focused on that, and then brainstorm. A lot of times, all the work that I do is strategic, I call it strategic work sessions. <clears throat> it's actually a brainstorming session to kind of focus on, okay, where are we at and where we want to go with this project? How do we get there? And then build out an action plan to help get there. Building an action plan, being very intentional, being very specific, using SMART goals, right? Uh, you know, we all learned the acronym about SMART goals, specific, measurable, et cetera. Holding yourselves accountable. Accountability is a big part of that too. And I know a lot of firms are struggling with, we've had more of a collegial atmosphere in many firms particularly the mid-sized firms that I work on, collegial atmosphere, a partnership, it's a profession. We need to think about our business as a business. Yeah. And, and then get the right people in the right place, be intentional about where we want to take the firm. So a lot of my work is around strategic visioning and planning 
I have a whole process I walk firms through in terms of identifying what are strengths and weaknesses, internal, external, where do we want to position ourselves in the market, really getting tied into, connected to our why. Why do we do business? Why do we exist? That's the Simon Sinek notion of why. We get down to the emotional level, but why we are doing what we're doing as a firm and what we believe in. And you'll attract the people, the right, if you believe in client advisory and, and providing great value for your clients and making more money, right, providing higher value services to your clients, that's a whole shift in mindset. That's a transformation in your business. You're still going to do the compliance work, right? We still yeah. can do that. And there's still bread and butter there, right? We're not going to just discard that totally. But over time, as we see, technology continues to advance, offshoring opportunities, lowering our cost on the compliance things, blocking and tackling, I like to call it, should free us up to enable us to spend more time consulting with our clients. Yeah, now, when we come to, uh, obviously, this huge change, obviously, so there's lots of aspects there that you sort of covered in there. Now, when it comes to, let's say, like a, the leader in the firm, so whether it's the managing partner, whether it's a CEO um, in a business, like, and we're talking about these drastic changes that we have to make, and you've got to get people on board. And, and like you were saying, like, the why is one thing, right, to attract the talent, to make sure everyone's on board, how may differ for, from person to person, right? How they personally have to do it or whatever the case is. But what are some of the sort of core functions that they can focus on themselves as leaders in order to do that transition appropriately? Like, is there like one or two things that you say, like, if you do this, you'll automatically go up a step in terms of your leadership characteristics and how you do it? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, well, keep saying I think I believe and I know from my own experience that excuse me that you really it really starts with the leader and it's really about looking in internally first. I'm a big believer in based on my martial arts experience, start with us ourselves first, right? So believe in yourself, believe in following your intuition. So believe in what is it you want to accomplish. So you have to be very clear about your vision for the firm, for the company. But from an action standpoint, your culture is defined by your actions, right? So you want to have a culture that encourages, uh, embraces change, that looks at uh, more consultative type and more consultative mindset, which means you got to cross-sell. So as a leader, what you want to do is lead the charge in terms of communicating with everyone about, first of all, making it important, making change, making the consultative approach important. People will focus on what the leaders focused on. So it's communication with your direct reports, your your line leaders, your practice leaders, whatever they might be, however they roll up your and your admin team. You want to collaborate with them, uh, be clear about the vision of the firm. And the action steps you want to do is be consistent. Frequency and repetition are so important. So it's reminding people. So in all communication, all meetings, you want to include some aspect of change or consultative work so that it stays top of mind. People have to be reminded. Yeah. So that's one step. The other step is finding the right people. You can't do it all yourself. I think there's a big, I mean, there's a big fallacy that CEOs and managing partners have is I got to be involved in everything. I was just talking to a, a partner yesterday uh, at a firm, mid-sized firm, and you know, CEOs just trying to handle everything themselves. It's, you know, it's just, it's not possible. So find the right people. Be willing. Be also be vulnerable. Vulnerable enough to 
hire the right people or, or rely on the right people in your firm to help carry the carry the water, if you will, to make these things real, to make them important and to carry them out. So it's finding the right people, I think, on your team, a champion or two champions, build a, a consensus team around them, a team that can help them implement, and be very specific about what the outcomes are. Be clear about what are, kind of outcomes you want to see and what they want to see. And, but then it's just checking in and making sure you're providing that, you know, you're that resource to them when they have questions. So you're available, right? You're emotionally, it's important to you. It's important to them, but you got to, you got to, you just can't assume everybody's going to take care of it and walk away from it. Focus on whatever you like to do. I mean, a lot of partners like to focus on one aspect of the business and that's it. Whether a great tax compliance or they really have the research accounting literature, whatever it might be or be out in the community and meeting people, that's great too. And that's an important aspect. But you can't ignore, you can't just dump it off on somebody else and think it's going to happen. You have to be really engaged yourself as a leader to make sure you're taking the right steps. The other thing I think is really important is training. You've got to have some training in, in, in your firm. And, you know, it could, you know, I'm not talking about the technical training. We all have to get our CPE in and that kind of thing. That's required, right? But really to, to foster change and growth, you need to be giving your people the right kind of training. And for me, it's a lot of it is, we used to call it soft skills. It's really, really uh, um, power skills now, I think is a better term. Um, Tom Peters in Search of Excellence wrote, what used to be soft is now hard, and what used to be hard is now soft. Just think of soft skills, people skills, relationships, and culture. They're really, he calls them hard because they are foundational. They're a bedrock to success, future success of your firm. If you don't realize it now or haven't realized it by this point, you're in a relationship business. Relationship with your employees, your relationship with your customers, your vendors. So it's building strong relationships, being focused on people. But you can't just focus on people. You need to focus on people and performance. You have to have metrics in place, accountability. Yeah. The big issue around accountability and getting things done is to hold people. What I like to say is hold yourself accountable as a leader. Hold other people able. Give them the opportunity. Um, by doing that, they then hold themselves accountable, right? And then they can hold other people able. It shifts the mindset. Instead of holding someone else accountable, well, if you don't get it done, then you failed, right? As a leader, you got to take what I, what I recommend is when you make a mistake, own it. If you have a loss or a failure, accept it and take ownership of that. Um, and when you have successes, share it with everybody or, you know, have whoever led that charge, let them get all the accolades. You don't need to get all the accolades. If you look at successful college coaches or, or NFL coaches, again, I'm focused on, on American football. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they'll say, you know, it's my responsibility. I made the wrong call or I did this. They'll take full responsibility. If you listen to their press conferences after a game, if they lose, same token, if they win, they're always talking about the players, the other coaches, other people that made this happen. You as the leader, everybody knows you're the leader. Yeah. Attribution, they, if you're successful, they're going to know that. So it's it's finding a way to share those success with people. Also be not, a, and don't be afraid to have some failures, right? Things are going to, not everything's going to work for you and your firm. So it's, it's okay to fail, but kind of fail fast and fail cheaply. I think it was, I think it was, uh, Hewlett Packard, I think it was Hewlett or Packard, I forget which one said that years ago. You know, you want to try new things, be innovative, um, adapt and shift and change. It's okay to fail from time to time, just limit your losses. Yeah, and I think that's one of the one of the things that 
I enjoyed about the conversation before before now as well around the the soft skills and the hard skills switch, right? But also, um, again, just the the principle of actually taking credit yourself, like you can do that internally as a leader, right? But for everybody else, you've got to push that praise down, right? So really, like even if you take accountability for, okay, something went wrong, that's fine. Maybe we addressed it in the wrong way. We've got to do this. You've got to teach then and train the individual or the team to make sure they don't make the same mistake again. But you take a lot of that pressure off of, because they're going to get in their own heads, right, around that failure release that but then vice versa like you can get in your own head about the yeah we've done a great job and stuff like this but like push that down as well like no this is you guys doing this right because you're then going to motivate people in comparison right i mean a good coach a good leader is not taking that and saying like yeah no this person clearly was the one on the team that messed it up because again now the next is going to impact the rest of the game right at the end of the day as well well you know it's it's uh i tried to implement this and it was not easy to implement this i had read about it years ago but the u.s military in particular the navy seals and i read this more recently uh in daniel cole's book daniel coyle's book the culture code the uh navy seals special forces after every engagement, now these are life or death situations, right? After every engagement, they have an after action review. They basically just they're in a circle, basically, or in a room together, and they review what didn't work and what what didn't work, what didn't work. And every action they take, everything goes not everything goes according to plan. Most plans are messed. Most plans are messed up before they even start. So things are going to happen that you don't plan for, right? And how do you adapt to that? How do you shift and all that? And so what they do is they review that, and it, there's no rank involved. So it can get heated sometimes, right? If someone says, well, so-and-so didn't do this, or I didn't do that, or whatever. But just taking ownership of your part, how you contributed to that situation, I think is important. And yeah, sharing the, sharing the appreciation. I think the, I call it the power of appreciation. There's different ways to do that, but it has to be authentic and real. And it's not just a drive-by, hey, great job. It's really acknowledging people in your firm they're doing great work that that um, through their actions and with their performance really show others what it means to be a part of this firm. Yeah. And you acknowledge that in a, in a meaningful way. Um, you, what you're really doing is you're setting the bar high in terms of your culture because your culture is defined by actions, not by words, what you do day in and day out. The, convert, the, the inverse of that is whatever you allow to slip, if somebody doesn't perform or doesn't really act in a way that's consistent with your culture, you let that slip. It's like dealing with your children. If you give them rules and expectations for them and they don't do them and you let that slide, they're going to keep doing it. They're going to keep, right? They're just going to get away with it. Or they'll see the leaders not doing, you know, walking the talk, right? Yep. And, or the parents, right? They'll see the parents doing something. And so they'll say, oh, it's okay to do that. Well, you end up setting the bar low on your culture in terms of what you'll tolerate. So you have to be consistent. I mean, I love Nick Saban in Alabama. Very consistent about what the culture is and what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. The, the great coaches are consistent. They're disciplined. They can still discipline. Um, and it's all about the team, not the individuals. But they're consistent. And that's the key is being consistent. And then recognizing the great performance that really emulates what it is you want your firm to be known for. And, and you touched on it a little bit there and then also previously, like earlier in the interview. But um, so, and and it just comes to one of the, 
probably one of the biggest changes in the industry as well. And it, it surrounds talent, right? I mean, it surrounds how are we changing our cultures in our firms now to really attract not just professionals to come to our firm rather than somebody else's, but also to attract younger generations to want to get into it and educate themselves in accounting and go for that degree. And I see firms coming to literally going to the grassroots, like going to high schools now and presenting there, showcasing like other aspects of the industry that can be done and things like that. So they're the ones that are sort of acting on it, which is great. And I think it's not talked about enough those things compared to there's a big staffing shortage or right? everyone has right. on that yeah. but again that's news that's news we got to hop on the negatives yeah. but everyone's interested by that but there are a lot of firms doing things and strategically doing it as well and they're the ones that are going to win especially in their local societies and like areas and geographies and things so but when we talk about that like how can a leader really encourage good belonging and sort of engagement with their teams. And we've touched on a few aspects, but like what are some core areas there that they can focus on? Like we need to do this in order to make sure that our team feels engaged in the company. They know our why and they, they're on board with our why. Uh, like how do they do that? And it's a very easy question. So yeah, <laughs> I was going to say there's many layers to that question. I, I, I just think about this in a, a kind of a logical format, the way I think about this in terms of understand your vision for the, for the company, for the firm, understand your why. And it can be a very, it should be a collaborative process, not just something you came up with in your head. I was, again, I was talking to a, a partner yesterday and, and she's a practice leader, but not the CEO of the firm. And they don't really collaborate, right. In terms of the vision and where they're going and, and what's the, what the strategic vision is. That's, that's, that is not a good idea. So you want to collaborate. So having a clear idea about the why, that drives everything. In my view, that drives everything. Because if you're clear about that, it affects your marketing, it affects how you talk about your firm internally, externally, and treating your customers and your internal staff and future staff the same way in terms of what, what makes us great? Why come to work here? What do we stand for? What do we believe in? So you got to be clear about that. And... I think, again, it's frequency and communication about why it's important. Um, the, um, so understanding that why. The second part of your question was? Um, so und- I guess around the engagement side of it, right? Engagement, so, right, right. Engagement yeah. is so important. That's right. Oh, I forgot about that. Engagement is so important. So um, that's really great. I had a great, I, had a great, I was leading a workshop. Strategic work session, and uh, we had a mixture of next gen leaders. And one of the next gen leaders stood up and said, Well, how do we engage, get our people to engage more? I thought about, I thought about that for a moment. I said, Well, how do you feel? When do you feel like you're more engaged? I know from my own experience, I was the young pup in the firm. Uh, I just joined the firm. It was like November, it was in between the busy season and quarters and that. And real, I was the new guy, new kid in the block. I was an experienced staff person, uh, not quite a senior yet, audit senior. And uh, managing partner, I was in the office. And managing partner came to me. Hey, I got this projection. It's a cat. It was in Texas. It was cattle ranch. And I want you to look at this projection and tell me if you have any questions or anything that doesn't look right. I had no idea the operation of a cattle ranch, right? Spent some time with it, you know, went through it, kind of thought about it. Came back to him with a couple of questions. And I could tell from my... My questions to him, he kind of a little bit light bulb went off. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. That meant a lot to me just because he took the time to come, you know, 
engage with me and let me, you know, let me kind of show what I could do or didn't do. Um, and I think, you know, so you want to give people more, this could be as simple as that. It could be like a really meaningful project in your firm. Yeah. Give people a chance to fail. And before you do that, you want to invest time in training. And I'm talking about not just, you should have some formalized training around I'm a big believer in leadership. So you obviously have your technical training, training that's customized to your firm around your culture, why, you know, what, why you do what you do, uh, relationships, you know, communication skills, those kinds of things. So you're giving people training along the way in addition to the technical training, but also on-the-job training, hands-on training. That really comes from your seniors and your managers. Those are the people most have most interaction with your staff people. Yeah. Right? And so you want to make sure your managers are really well-trained. Look at any Gallup report, they'll tell you people are disengaged because they have a crappy manager. I experienced that. I actually left public accounting. Early in my career, I left public accounting for about six months. I went to work for a Fortune 1000 company. And I thought I was being hired in to be the kind of the leader, director of this small accounting division within this large company. When I came in, they had promoted someone else before I got right before I got there to that role. And this person was incompetent. It was not just my opinion. It was everybody <laughs> working for this person. They're incompetent. They don't know what they're doing. It was very frustrating. And, you know, we tried to, to try to fix it and nothing really happened. We couldn't really change it, the situation, right? Well, man, I'm the type of person that I'm, I, I do my job. I'm very intentional about doing a great job. Um, but I was also looking for another job. And I ended up going back to my firm, basically. Yeah. I tried it, didn't like it. Everybody said, why are you going back to public accounting? Well, I knew my career path and I loved the work and I loved the variety. And, and so I went back to public accounting and then took on some challenging. I was asked, hey, we got this really big client that uh, was obviously new to the firm again in a different office in South Florida. And we got this, new, we got this big client, they're going to do an offering. Would you be interested? It was not in town. It was like 60 miles away. Would you be interested in, in working on that? I said, sure. So I took on that challenge, right? But I was asked. That really you know, changed the trajectory of my, you know, enhanced the tra trajectory of my career with the firm. So it's, you know, sometimes you're asked, sometimes you, you know, sometimes you need to ask your people and you call on them to challenge them. People, your young people want to do more challenging work. They want to be more engaged. Yeah. If we don't treat them that way, they're going to get dissatisfied and they're going to find some other, they're going to go for the highest dollar. I will say this, you got it. Your compensation has to be market. You got to be at market. You can't be below market. That takes the money issue off the table. Now, market keeps changing all the time, right? And some, some of us are scratching our heads going, oh my God, we're paying these two-year people this? But we got to do that and stay in the game. But find the right people. If you find the right person who fits your culture, who's engaging, who will grow in that position and take on those challenges, they're going to pay for themselves pretty darn quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think one of the important pieces there as well, especially with this industry, is I would say to a good extent, right, uh, the majority of people are more introverted than extroverted, right? In In the majority case, but I would say, again, you've got, plenty of people that are not right but it also comes to the principle of those leaders again you you have to be the ones that are reaching out right i think is my point there in terms of a lot of people are gonna sit and do their work 
and they're going to want those challenging opportunities, but they're not necessarily going to, they're not the ones that are going to speak up because they'll feel like they're speaking out of line. Oh, they don't want to also look negative around that. So a lot of people won't necessarily engage with their managers, their senior managers, their even partner, and they feel intimidated talking to the partners in a, in some cases, right, as well, right, depending upon the culture. So, so that's sort of an aspect that I completely agree with. And I think, and again, I think that, Culture in terms of firms has changed drastically over since I got into it 10 years ago to now. And, and I think obviously COVID shook everything up as well, mm-hmm. just to, in terms of that. And also, and I, again, spinning it towards that international team and international culture and not just like culturally around my geography, my town, my city, my state. Now I've got employees cross states. Like you said, I mean, working with a cattle ranch in Texas, like you've got clients all over, but now you've got team members all over as well with different cultures domestically and internationally. And I know that you personally have experience working with team members nationwide, but also internationally, you had clients internationally as well. I think you mentioned on our last call, like, I think Japan was one of the places where you gave an example of one of the clients there. Um, But can you can you go into that a little bit? Because more and more teams are now working with both nationwide teams and also international teams now. So when we're talking about that cultural side of it, how should leaders think about it and sort of like build their culture internally? Great question. Well, we need to think outside the box, right? I mean, the world has changed. We've got to understand other cultures, first of all, I think. And a big big part of a leader is not so much talking, but actually listening. And you mentioned introverts and extroverts. There are some fantastic, amazing leaders who are introverts. Yeah, you don't have to be. You don't have to be the guy person out there in front of the camera all the time, uh, you know, hawking your company or whatever. Right, as an extrovert, as a CEO of a large company, you don't need to be that person, but you need to be able to communicate with your teams and your people in a meaningful way. And listen, listening is so important. So when you're working with international teams in particular, you want to understand our culture. Now, sometimes that's difficult to do. Um, and what you need to really do is if you don't have that expertise or experience with those types, you know, those countries and people from those countries, maybe you have somebody in your team who's from that country, which is a big help. Um, we had a couple of guys from, we had some folks from Philippines, we had some folks from South Africa on our teams, from the UK as well, even, uh, different cultures. And so understanding their culture, understanding what's important to them, so listening, finding the right partner, whether it's an outsourced partner or whatever, or it's another team that helps you do their work, you really want to find a good fit from a cultural standpoint and what, what they believe in. So you want to align with what they believe in with what you believe in. Yeah. So you have to really listen, do your due diligence, really and, and invest that time with them. Again, I would have someone on the team be kind of a point person, right, to to work with that country. If it's, you know, if it's outsourced tax services, let's say you want to have a point person to actually spend time with them, get to know them, uh, start small with some project, I think, and then kind of build up. You know this better than I do in terms of working with the international outsourcing. Build that relationship with them. It's all about relationships. So you're building a relationship now across across the world. We are a global society. Let's face it. We are global businesses. And there's resources all around the world we could be using if we do it with the right focus and right intentionality. Again, being aligned with your values and your culture Having somebody on your team that's focused on coordinating, being a point person, also having someone on their end, same person, that's a point person, 
and also doing due diligence. And honestly, one of my one of my clients recently went overseas to visit with the outsourced firm just to get to know them better and to understand their makeup and, and meet their people and that sort of thing. I think building relationships is important, whether it's in the inside the U.S. or outside the U.S., outside the country. Building relationships, and it's, it's made our jobs as leaders so much harder now, right? Because everybody's so far spread out. Even your staff people in the U.S. could be remote, partially remote, hybrid, or full-time remote. Engagement's still important. So it's picking yep. up the phone, doing a Zoom call or a Teams call, you know, face-to-face, spending some time with them, and spending some time just over like a cup of coffee. That's just all about work stuff, right? We really have conversations around non-work stuff. I want to get to know them, get to know their their personality a little bit more, get to know their character, because it helps you to build, strengthen that relationship and that bond, and just talk to them as a human being. I think sometimes we get so far caught up in our very task-oriented lives, right? We kind of forget about, hey, there's a human being on the other side. Just relate to them at a, on a human level. I think that will make a big, big difference. Yeah, and especially when it's so virtual now. I mean, like, again, so many firms are embracing the virtual culture from that perspective. But but I, I mean, I can attest to it from my my side as well. I mean, most meetings are meetings, right? I mean, you, you schedule your meetings and you have your meetings. You don't necessarily go in your calendar and schedule, hey, I'm going to sit with you for no reason. It's just to really get to know each other, right? And again, l- luckily, I – and again, uh, uh, my company and the way that we work essentially like it's with different professionals that again we can sit and we can cover a few bits and then we have a conversation it's all built on the relationship side of it so so that's the good aspect but especially in firms when we're working with our team members it's it's not necessarily like that it's your manager is there coordinating with yeah i need this project i need this done this is what feedback we've got whatever the case is and it, and we always tend to go towards the work first when when actually it's that relationship piece actually helps with everything right it helps align properly within the firm we get to understand each other what lifts each other off which which things whether you really need to hear the positive feedback consistently whether you're somebody that like don't call me out in a meeting whether I've done a good thing because I really don't want that. Like, right, right, yeah, I may just want that one-to-one, like, hey, you're doing a great job, but like, I don't want to be called out in front of everybody, right? Certain people are different, right? So getting to know them is very important, I think is the biggest. thing. And, and I think too, one of my clients was sharing me two weeks ago that they have you know, multiple offices. And so perhaps these team meetings, most people sit on their most people sit on their hands. They don't really participate in the conversation. Yeah. and. It's like, I don't know what to do. I mean, I want them to be more engaged. I said, well, maybe set the set the tone before the meeting. You know, give them, let them know you're going to call on some people, right? Give them some questions or something they can focus on. It's very specific so they can participate in that. Um, you're right. A lot of people, they're somewhat shy. They don't want to be called out or whatever. They may sit on their hands. I used to have, quarterly, I used to hold, back that they were all in the office, Right, many years ago, so I'd have a quarterly meeting with just the staff, no other partners or managers or anybody, just the staff, kind of check in with them, see what was going on and that kind of thing. And people could submit questions before the meeting, and I would address those. There weren't a lot of conversations at the meeting, right? There'd be yeah. one or two people that would kind of say something and participate in it. And I would just ask people, you know, what are your thoughts? And I'd try to call on some people I thought were more comfortable in responding, that sort of thing. Yeah, people are going to kind of sit on their hands. So the one-to-ones are really, really important. Yeah. Especially, you know, 
back during the pandemic, I mean, there was so much fear and all this stuff in our society, right? So people needed to have that one-on-one conversation. People felt isolated. You don't, you don't want anybody to feel isolated even today. So whether you're the leader and you're reaching out to people or you're having your, your direct reports and your principals and your senior manager, make sure there's a system in place, a process where people are reaching out to people one-to-one, not just quarterly, you know? It's almost uh, some some people I think um, try to do it. Uh, some people have told me that they try to do this once a month to kind of rotate it. You can't talk to everybody all the time. But making that yeah. effort, building those relationships, is really really important. So as we come to and and again, really great having you on, John. I I think. Do you have one small major takeaway? Right, small being short but major takeaway that you want everybody to really think about, right? Coming off this and listening to what we've gone over. Cause I, we covered a lot in different areas as well. Um, and then also just share your details, how they how people can reach out to you if they need some support in this sure. area. Sure, sure, sure. First of all, simplify, try to simplify things. Don't be in a hurry. Navy SEALs have a great motto. Uh, slow. Let's see. Uh, smooth is fast. Excuse me. Okay, wait. Let me get this right. <laughs> I use this a lot. I'm drawn by. Um, okay, slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. Now, Navy SEALs are in life or death situations, but slowing things down enables you and your firm to think more, be more intentional, have better decision making, take better action, and in the long run, it's faster. So slowing things down. Take time as a leader to give yourself some white space on your calendar so you can think about the business, not just be in the business and deadlines and billable hours and your clients, but thinking just broadly about the business. Communicate with your people frequently. Focus on building relationships, strong relationships, with your direct reports, and as many people in your firm as you can. It's really, really important. Be intentional about your, your vision for the firm and the culture of your firm. Make sure those are aligned and collaborate. Don't do it all on your own. Perfect. I think are really important. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. And thank you, everybody. So please feel free to reach out to John. Now I'll, I'll post his details as well. Um, but the CEO Sensei is happy to help. So um, I'm sure he can help <laughs> teach you in the martial yeah. arts as well. So <laughs> I do incorporate that sometimes with my clients. I had one client that would say, Yeah, I just need a I need a Tai Chi session. It's okay. Um, and we actually live close to each other, so we could do it face to face. We can do it virtually too. Um, reaching out to me, just you can uh, find me on my website, johnjfenton.com, and on LinkedIn, uh, uh, John J. Fenton, the CEO coach. Um, and also just email me, johnjfenton, john at johnjfenton.com. I have some great resources for, for your listeners, uh, engagement tool I call it the Engagement Accelerator, uh, johnjfenton.com forward slash uh, engage. You can get a free download of that. It's kind of a cheat sheet on how to engage better with your teams perfect thanks john and thanks everyone for joining and um yeah feel free to reach out to john myself if you have any questions if you want to be connected happy to help okay have a good one thank you for tuning in to business beyond borders i'm lawrence whittam and it's been a pleasure bringing you impactful insights tailored for the modern cpa firm remember the world of accounting is vast and ever-evolving and we're here to navigate it together. For more resources and episodes, don't forget to subscribe and reach out to our experts. 
Until next time, keep pushing the boundaries of your business and explore the limitless possibilities beyond borders.